Bibles out, if you've got your Bibles, if you take notes, by all means, take notes, smartphones, tablets. May we be a church that is hungry to learn, a people of God who desire that every time we get together, we're opening our hearts, we're fixing our mind, believing that God, by way of His Holy Spirit, is going to deposit something significant into our lives. May this never be a waste of our time, but always time well spent. Time in His presence, time in each other's presence, and that just for a short period, in the context of our weeks, something is deposited into our hearts, that we can go into the week and really carry His light and His grace. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible. It's not a literal translation. However, he phrases it in more contemporary language. But can I encourage you, whenever I talk to you from God's Word and from the Bible, that you would go to um, a different version, another expression of it, because it all brings great roundedness to what it is that's being communicated. But Eugene Peterson, speaking of Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, says it like this. When the Feast of Pentecost came, We've spoken about Pentecost. It is that festival, the Lord's festival, that was 50 days after the Passover. For us, that would be celebrated in Easter, after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. 50 days after that event, they were all together in one place. And that is a key statement. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind or a gale force. Kind of similar to what's happening outside the building this morning. Imagine it happening inside the building. And even that statement where it says, by surprise, what that speaks of is a sense of God entering into a moment without us having contrived that particular moment. And what can tend to happen is that we become so fixated on certain formulas and methods because perhaps we've seen success in those. And it's only human nature that if we see particular outcomes through a particular method, we will stick to that method. But what I love about that very simple phrase where they were taken by surprise, it speaks that they weren't following a particular method but that there were certain ingredients taking place with the early people of God that would see God's presence and His glory being made manifest in their presence. So by surprise, this movement, this wind, this force starts to happen inside the house where they are gathered. And then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks. And they started speaking in a number of different languages Other versions might use a word, they started speaking in tongues. But essentially, in this particular scenario, they were speaking in specific languages. Not necessarily the heavenly language, which we can get to at another time, but they were speaking of the glory of God in a language that many people who were in Jerusalem at that time could understand what they were saying. As the Spirit prompted them. This is a moment that changed it all. If you think about what this moment represents, here was a small group of people numbering around 120. And they were in an apprenticeship with a rabbi or a teacher called Jesus. 
What they had just experienced 50 days earlier was the crucifixion of that rabbi, essentially his execution. And can you imagine the absolute devastation that would have come with that? Here is a man that they had been learning from and listening to and abiding with for about three years, going through the highs and lows of life, and would have created such a deep bond with this man, this teacher, this rabbi, Jesus. And then they see him being beaten to the point of death, hanging on a cross. Crazy low in their life. And then just three days later, the elation of seeing him in his resurrection. And now they come to a point where they not only see this person as being just a person, they don't just see him as a rabbi, as a teacher, somebody to apprenticeship under to get some great intellect. They now come to the conclusion, based upon their very personal, very real experience of seeing his death, but not only seeing his death, but seeing him coming to life, and they now conclude, this is the promised Messiah. Again, elation. Like, this is the coming king. This is the salvation of Israel. This is, according to what the perception of the time was, a king that would ride in on a white stallion, overthrow the powers that be because they were under Roman rule at the time, and they would bring liberty to Jerusalem. And then next thing, confusion. Because this coming king decides to leave them, depart from their physical presence, and ascends to heaven. So now they find themselves thinking, Okay, well, what do we do next? They had been given some very specific instructions. But how they would outwork those instructions, if you think about it again, in their context, even in our time right now, they were instructions that were really impossible to fulfill. Because Jesus, in his last moments with those disciples, he said to them, take this message the message that the salvation of the world is found in me, whom is the Son of God, God made manifest in physical presence, and through my crucifixion and resurrection, I am alive now. I have come to bring life, life in all of its fullness. Take this message, take your experience, and go to all of the world and make disciples as you are a disciple and see people being baptized, see people being uh, immersed in the ways of who I am, Jesus, and believe for God to do incredible things through your life. This is at a time where uh, they would have had to have walked a lot of places, and they're based in Jerusalem in the Middle East. This is at a time where there is no real technology to communicate or spread Communication, it's all word of mouth, it's all personal invitation, it's all face-to-face. -face. So just think of the impossibility of that task. Go into all of the world. I mean, it's just kind of bizarre that Jesus would even say something like that to them. But then this event changes it all. Because God, in His wisdom... Although gives them, and let me remind all of us, gives us the same mission, that we too are to carry this hope into the world in which we live. And so there is a mission for us, and it could also seem like mission impossible, mission more possible now than it was then, 
but through this event that Acts chapter 2 depicts on the day of Pentecost, the festival of harvest, we see God do something in this small group of people that is really like an explosion that takes place with them. It's almost like God lit a match and this force that resided in them was ignited to such an extent that overnight, instantaneously, this group of people went from being just 120 people to thousands. Thousands. Have a look at what it says here. It goes on to say in Acts chapter 2 from around verse 41, after the disciple Peter, who was previously known as Simon, but through an encounter with God, there was a transformation, which tends to happen. That when there is a real, genuine encounter with God, transformation comes with that. So Peter, now filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up boldly, the same Peter who just weeks prior had um, completely disowned and rejected Jesus. That same Peter, and I love that reconciliation of God, that even in the midst where Peter would choose to deny Jesus three times, he now is the one that stands up before thousands and professes Jesus to be the one true hope. And then it goes on to say this, verse 41. That day, about 3,000 took him at his word. 3,000. They were baptized and they were signed up. Now hear this, okay? It wasn't just like, there was a situation where a great preacher got up and in their eloquence and in their motivational speaking moved people to simply like raise a hand in a service and then counted that as them giving their lives to Jesus and signing up. What we see is them taking the very significant step of being baptized. We um, have traveled through different nations and in some nations them having either a particular religious stance that is not of Christianity or Jesus, or perhaps even being very secular in their approach. In other words, there is no God element to the nation that we are in. Most people are okay with people professing to follow Jesus. In, in some situations where it is illegal to be a Christian, Oftentimes it's okay if a person just speaks of Jesus or professes Jesus. The difference comes in is when a person chooses to be baptized. That is a defining moment. That in some countries, if you decide to be baptized to follow Jesus is when you will end up in prison. And so what it's speaking of is that the significance of this moment wasn't just hype, it wasn't just superficial, it wasn't just a great event that somebody experienced and in a moment of emotion responded. We would see that these people, something penetrated their hearts and their lives to the point where they were willing to surrender all and commit everything of their lives to following Jesus and His way. And it came about because there was a significant power that was flowing through that moment, and that power is the Holy Spirit. And we're heading towards Pentecost Sunday, the 5th of June, is when it is diarized um, in our calendars, and so we as a church are wanting to celebrate that particular occasion, 
But we're not celebrating in the sense that is to go back to 2,000 years ago and hope everything of what took place in its specifics then happens with us. What I'm hoping is that we would choose to be open enough, to be receptive enough, to wipe the slain clean enough, to come in with a perception-free attitude that on the 5th of June, God would do something with us that would be real, fresh, authentic, and that we would be open enough to allow Him to do so, which sounds a little bit bizarre that we humans would allow the King of Kings to do, but what I know to be true is that God will not force Himself, will not move amongst people that are apathetic or or that are cold-hearted or stone-hearted, but that His grace and His Spirit move best when we are receptive and expectant and hungry. And that's really what I'm trying to do with these messages over the next couple of weeks, is just to build a sense of context, understanding, knowing that we're not going to be able to bring the full spectrum of understanding, but also to create within us a desire to meet with God by way of His Holy Spirit, in a way that perhaps we've never done so before. I said it last week, and it's to remind us again that this Christianity, this life following Jesus, it was never intended by God to be purely intellectual, like to have all the answers intellectually. It was never intended for it to be academic, that we would study and study and research and research, and that's all it was. And all of those things are good, by the way for it to be intellectualized and for it to be studied and therefore academic. But this life in God, it's to be experienced. It's to be experienced at at every aspect of who we are as a person. To, To stimulate our mind, to be at work in the very cells of our body, to bring alive a a spiritual dynamic to our life that perhaps hadn't existed or even to reinforce one that does. But there is the opportunity for you and I to experience the living God, the living, breathing God who is for every single one of us by way of His Holy Spirit. So we have to ask ourselves a question in the next five minutes that we have before maybe everything shuts down. Um, What is the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is not a force or an energy. The Holy Spirit is not a thing or an object. Because to ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit, is the wrong question. The better question to ask is, who is the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit is not an object. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the personhood of God. Now, without getting into too much detail about this, you may have heard of the Trinity or the triune God. And essentially, it is the one God, God Almighty, expressed in three different forms. We would have God the Father, God the Son in Jesus, and also God, Holy Spirit. And so when we speak about Holy Spirit, and even me omitting the word the is very intentional. In other words, saying not the Holy Spirit, but just Holy Spirit. It's to bring a, uh, a personification into who Holy Spirit is. 
because it, it is a little bit odd when we speak about the Holy Spirit because it almost like objectifies Holy Spirit. Like when I talk about Merv, I don't say, well, actually, I might. I might say this. I might say the Merv. But, but typically, typically, I'm just saying Merv. I'm just speaking of Merv as he is a person the same way as we speak of Holy Spirit as Holy Spirit is the person of God expressed in spirit form. See, the Bible speaks of Holy Spirit with words such as advocate, uh, such as comforter, such as counselor, such as spirit of wisdom, spirit of truth, which we all know we live in an age where don't we need the spirit of truth more than ever. And so what we would find as we head towards um, Pentecost, that spirit, that festival of harvest, which really what we see in the book of Acts is harvest taking place. That which was sown is now reaping. And there is a harvest of salvation that the Spirit of God would dwell in amongst humans by way of faith and that we would be empowered to such an extent that even beyond our flaws, even beyond our failings, even beyond our mistakes, which we all have, none of us are perfect. But that despite ourselves, Holy Spirit would still work within us, be by our sides, transform us to the extent that we can live in the ways of Christ. And that actually there would be others that would look upon us and say there is something different about those people. Because the truth is, is a life connected to Christ, empowered by His Spirit, is a life that is transformed and being transformed. And the Bible speaks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And what we can look at, perhaps even on that weekend, that 5th of June, is we can elaborate on what those are. But again, more than just talking about them, let's trust God that we're going to see them being a reality in our lives. But that's what the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit is the power, the fuel, the life, the counsel, the wisdom, the strength, the joy, the peace of God in our lives. That by way of faith, as we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is a good gift for us. And that gift is the gift of Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to encourage you over these next few weeks to please take it upon yourself. Take it upon yourself to seek, to search, to understand. Take it upon yourself to read, to pray. And then I mentioned it. Um, and we'll talk specifics come next week, Sunday, which, as Tam mentioned, is a 5 p.m. service. We can talk about how that particular week could be the beginnings of how we can broaden that over our journey as a church, and perhaps we lengthen the time or get a bit more specific around it. But I want us to start seeing some spiritual practices taking place just in that week. The practice of personal devotion, the practice of fasting, the practice of prayer, collectively speaking, so we can lead into that particular weekend just as way of focus. Because really, at the end of the day, we don't need to head toward one specific day where God would move and do something in one day and therefore he'll do nothing in the days ahead. But I feel like there is something important for us to head towards. And then from that day, may it be a watershed for us as a community 
but also for the community at large.